we'll welcome friends and guests to um, the, this evening at the National Library. I'm Murray-Louise Ayres. I'm the Assistant Director-General for National Collections Access here at the Library. And it's actually really nice to see a couple of old friends in the audience here. So now yesterday, our library staff were captivated by a presentation by our 2015 Indigenous graduate, John Morso, who's a Torres Strait Islander man. His friends, supporters and elders were in the audience as we learned about this part of Australia which is about as far as possible from Carmel's home and about his continuing culture. So before we begin this evening, I'd like to acknowledge the Ngunnawal and Ngambri people, the traditional owners of this land, thank their elders past and present for caring for the land on which this beautiful building, uh, where we call our library home. <coughs> Now, I'm delighted to have you join us this evening to hear Carmel Bird discuss her most recent novel, My Hearts Are Your Hearts, and Fair Game, a Tasmanian memoir with her longtime friend, Marion Halligan. Marion and Carmel are also old friends of the National Library. Of course, we hold all of their publications. We do have a lot of books here, but we also hold their personal papers, professional portraits, and oral history interviews. Carmel is represented in the papers of Marion Halligan and Cassandra Pybus, and both have appeared at the library on many occasions at book launches, friends' events and workshops. So tonight we're going to eavesdrop on a conversation between these two Australian writers whose friendship flourished after reading each other's books in the 1980s. That friendship now involves lengthy, lengthy weekly telephone calls discussing the state of literature and life. So together they'll explore My Hearts Are Your Hearts, which poses questions relating to the working of the human heart. Key questions such as, who is paying $6,000 for a raincoat? And they also delve into Carmel's memories of growing up in Tasmania, which begins with blackbirds and blossoms, bounteous blossom like we've had this spring here, then travels in less than 60 pages over several centuries through landscapes darker and lighter and in multiple colours, filled with convicts, fabrics and butterflies, through to goodbyes and the enduring power of friendship. So I'm sure the conversation will range about serious opinions about what they're reading. You do know we want serious opinions about what you're reading tonight. Discussions of what they're writing and their experiences of um, juggling their writing worlds and the rest of their lives. So please welcome our guests as they, um, as they discuss their work and we'll have time for questions at the end. Yeah. 
those things. Sounds bad. <laughs> yeah. I must say, we both went to see Hamlet last night, and I do have to mention this because that's the most amazing um, production of the play. It, was it has superb. all those things mm. in it too. Yeah. And they set it in a sort of Cold War time, full of peril and treachery and people recording what people say and so on, which is quite interesting. But I think they're the perennial themes. The that stuff of fiction. Always, I mean, yes. that's what, what yes. after all, what are your... Um, Stories about, but, but that. About that. Yes. So can you tell me what happens in the very earliest pages of, of Good My Sweetheart? Do you want me to read a bit? Read a bit. Read me a bit. I'll That'd read be great. a tiny yeah. bit. Yes. Hardly any. Sometimes on the phone we do read bits, don't we? We do, mm. yeah. I remember when um, the sea, you know, the William, um, the, not William, the Banville Ban novel. John Banville. John Banville novel mm. won the um, Booker and I said to come and listen to this opening sentence mm. and read it to her and she said, how on earth did that win the Booker? It's far too good. <laughs> far, far too good. <laughs> far too good, yeah. yes. Mm. This story begins by water. William remembered reading those words once, and presumably there had been a story to follow, but what it was he had no recollection. But water always made him think of them. This story begins by water. Today the pool was empty of swimmers. You see, that's the pool on the front. He'd come in from the gym, and there it was, completely still, but soon the whole surface quaked and heaved with his presence, Water slopped through the grills, plastic imitating wood that surrounded its edges. He trudged up and down, not in the lap lane, that was for serious swimmers, not walkers, and he'd noticed that a swimmer could do two laps in the time it took him to do one. The water offered a lot of resistance, that was the point. His was not the torpedo body of the swimmer cleaving through, it was a creature out of its element. And, of course, it, he becomes um, more and more out of his element because what he does is have a heart attack and dies. So he's one of the goodbye sweethearts in the, um, in, in the story. Sometimes people think that this book's called Goodnight, Sweetheart, oh, yeah. like the song. But, of course, Goodnight, Sweetheart, Until We Meet Tomorrow, the goodbyes in this are a good bit good, more... Goodbye, yes. Goodbye. Yes, well, all hell breaks loose out in his known family and his unknown family That's after, right. after the, the death in the pool. Because it's a very interesting thing, I think, death. I, I, it fascinates me more and more. And you realise, I suppose, as you get closer to it and see people you know come to it, that you can't do anything about it. No. That you can't control, control it. And people mm. like Carmel and me, who are really frightful control freaks when it yes. comes to the point... There's that, there's that, <laughs> yeah. And we're used to sort of making things happen the way we want to. So, but death, once you're dead, you, you can't do anything. That's right. But the lovely thing about writing fiction, one of the lovely things about writing fiction, is that you can control what happens. You killed him. I did. I yes. did. And my son James, there's, there's another death in it. And he said, Mum, how could you do that? Yes. How could you kill that child? And I said... Seemed a good idea at the time, yes, yes. sort of thing, but it was, it was important. The plot needed it. Well, you said something to me just today about fiction, that if you want to find out how dark and bad and nasty a person is, read their fiction. That's right. Yes. Oh, that's yes. right. 
then you'll find yeah. out you'll find how out. tough they are. Yes, how rough. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> you'll be scared of them when you've read their fiction. Okay, yes. now are you going to read us a I'll, I'll read the beginning of My Heart to Your Hearts then because we've got this little, little heart theme going. Yes. Um, and my story, My Heart to Your Hearts, is a much lighter story than Goodbye, Sweetheart, but there are many stories in my collection which are dark, as dark can be. But um, the actual story, My Heart to Your Hearts, is a, is a light-hearted one. Plenty of sex. Sex. We'll talk about that in a minute. Yeah. Yes. So sex and death are the topics, of course, of oh, fiction. They're and the absolute perennial know? topics. Yes. Can't get away well, from well, them. Well, yes, yeah. But, well, and, and fiction feeds on them and plays with them and, and so forth. I'll just get on to reading the story. Okay. <laughs> In one of the tents at Adelaide Writers' Week, Anthony Elmer read from his latest novel, answering questions from a large audience of keen journalists and adoring fans. It was hot in the tent, there in the Pioneer Women's Memorial Gardens, and Anthony sweated. The audience sweated, but it was worth it. He was brilliant. In another tent, Viviana Vincent did much the same. Ditto the journalists and fans, except... While her audience also poured with sweat, Viviana appeared cool, also calm and collected. Antony's novel, his seventh, was what is called literary and it concerned a murder in Oxford in the 1990s. So it did get a bit of death into here already. Yes, I mean, yes, it's not yes. very serious, but he did write it. He wrote a novel about a murder. About a murder. I'd, see, I'd forgotten that. Can't get away from it. Viviana's was the latest in her Venus McVicar romances. The audiences in the two tents were different. Antony's lot was drawn from what is called the intelligentsia and was clearly male. Fellows packing down with the big boys. A smattering of women, mostly middle-aged. Viviana's people were predominantly women, women of all ages, their faces alight with excitement at being so close to the darling of their reading groups and book clubs. Anthony's books sold very well, were warmly reviewed in all the best papers and journals, won prizes. Viviana's sold in fantastic numbers. They were ecstatically reviewed in women's magazines. They did not win prizes. <laughs> <laughs> That's... Um typical of your stories in that it um, is very funny in a kind of verbal way. Yeah. You're playing with Venus yes, and, and, all, and, the, and all those alliterating Viviana and, and Viviana Vincent and, and, Vincent and, yeah. and all that stuff. Yeah. Um, and it's, um, as you were remarking earlier, your stories all have different <coughs> voices. Nev it's never your voice. Not my voice, no. It's, it's a narrator's no. voice no. who's telling us the exactly. story. Exactly. My essays are in my voice. Yes. The stories have a narrator who has a voice of his or her own. Yeah. Um, in fact, the, at the back of the collection of short stories, uh, there is an essay that I've written on the writing of the short stories. And if I can just borrow it from you for a minute, Marion, um, the essay, you will find, has a very, very much plainer... Oh, I mean, that, that was... 
not the wildest narrator that I just read, but it is a, a very different narrative approach when it's an essay yeah. from when it's fiction. And what you read was fiction, not fiction, essay. Not I don't essay. know that we've got an essay of yours here tonight but you for you to read, no. but, but, but when you write an essay, it's clearly Marion Halligan is speaking to you on a certain topic and <coughs> pay attention, listen. And, and of course, Carmel and I don't really think that essays or memoirs can be fictionalised. As soon as you start fictionalising something like that, it's you've fiction, got fiction. Mm. Um, quite simply, why, mm. why stuff about with it? Mm. <laughs> so here's my tone when I'm doing the essay at the end of the short story book. It just starts, I grew up in Tasmania and in my mind, in my heart of heart, the island's shape resembles that of a love heart. When I hold in my hand a chocolate love heart wrapped in scarlet foil, I may think for a fleeting moment of home. That's very interesting because, of course, I'd forgotten mm. that your cover for Kate Grimm yes. um, has the naked man on it. I mean, yes. Not and all of him. No. But he's, he's got a heart and the heart is Tasmania, yes. which is interesting. Yes, Kate so Grimm is a novel I wrote a few years ago. Mm. Yeah. So you've always played around with that idea. Of, um, and, of course, the idea of Tasmania is very much in this <coughs> fair game book, which is, you can see the, the postcard from which... Um, yeah, maybe I should I explain a bit about that. Uh, fair Game is this tiny little book, see, and it's an essay of 60 pages published by Finlay Lloyd, which is a, a small... Uh, publisher from Braidwood, Would that, is that what I say, where it's from? Braidwood, yes. Yeah, yeah. yes. Um, and it's an essay. Now, it was inspired by the picture that you see on the wall there, which is a reproduction of a postcard held at the National Library. Actually, it's print, isn't it? That's it's a postcard of a print. A po that, the yeah, print's a bigger, isn't it? Well, the print, there is a print, and the library made postcards. Yeah, postcards. Yes. And the story is, and this is a very Bird Halligan story I'm about to tell you, that in 1994, Marion's daughter Lucy sent me the postcard which you see on the wall. And I was entranced, moved, fascinated and everything by the image and wanted to write something about it or something for it or something, do something with it. And it has taken me 20 <laughs> years to come up with Remember, 60 pages. <laughs> I said you should make it a, a young adult fiction. Yes. And Carmel yeah. said, oh, yes, that's a good idea. Yes. And thought about it for, for about, about two five minutes. years. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> or two it, minutes. Yeah, two minutes. And, and didn't do didn't it. Didn't do that. Because I don't read young adult fiction very much. When my friends write young adult fiction, I read their books, and they're wonderful. But I don't seek out young adult fiction. Not being a young adult, I suppose, has a lot to do That's with that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, <laughs> so the picture, if you, if you just sit back and look at the picture on the wall, it looks awfully pretty, doesn't it? But when you examine it more closely, you will find that on the left-hand side, in pale watercolour, is an image of 
nasty women in Great Britain with broomsticks shooing something out of Great Britain. And over on the right-hand corner is an image of Van Diemen's Land where nasty men are holding out butterfly nets to catch butterflies. Mm -hmm. And underneath the flying butterflies overhead is the sea, and sailing on the sea is a little ship called the Princess Royal. And the Princess Royal set off from Great Britain in 1832 with 200 free women. They were not convict women. They were women who had chosen to leave Great Britain in order to go to Van Diemen's Land where they hoped and imagined that they would have a better life. Some of them did succeed in having a better life, but many of them did not. And the artist, cartoonist, Alfred Ducourt, made that cartoon characterising the women as gorgeous Georgian butterflies being chewed away from one land and welcomed at the end of the earth to their often doom trapped in butterfly nets. And so this has exercised my imagination for a very long time. And finally, I have written an essay inspired by the image, but the essay moves a great distance from the image into my own childhood and life in Tasmania. So it's, it's a reflection on the image. It's a reflection on myself as a Tasmanian and on Tasmania in general. So that kind and of... And you yeah. made some interesting discoveries, didn't you? Things like yeah, I did. the fact that the man who owned that print yes. and who, I suppose, gave it or sold it or something to the National the Library, Library was a man whose son you once went out with. That's right, <laughs> yes. And in fact, uh, although I didn't see the image until 1994, when I was a child... The man who owned the image lived a few streets away from me with the image. So the image had been there waiting all the time, but I didn't know. And uh, so that, that actually was probably the first thing that bounced me off from the contemplation of the image into a contemplation of my own history. And that's what, that's what a, a, a writer has the liberty to do. There was nobody saying, but you said you were going to write about the picture. Um, <laughs> instead, I go bouncing off to write about Dr. Craig, yeah. who lived uh, not far away from me when I was a child and who had two sons and who collected. He must have had an amazing collection of stuff. And he sold or gave, I can't remember. I should know, shouldn't I? I probably do know. It's probably in here, exactly. Probably what somebody he did. knows. Yeah, <laughs> yes. Um, first time I've heard of Dr. Craig. Um, yeah. he was, he, oh, look, I'll tell you about Dr. Craig. Why not? He was born in Melbourne in 1896 and died in Launceston in 1986. He became oh, surgeon God. superintendent of the Launceston General Hospital after the resolution of an eight-year dispute between the Tasmanian state government and the local branch of the British Medical Association who had banned their own members from working in Tasmanian hospitals. Heavens! That's all I know about the dispute, but it sounds interesting. It certainly <laughs> does. Um, 
Anyway, I'm, I'm getting, I, I get all this information about him. In 1963, he wrote a book on the history of the Launceston General Hospital. Look, I'm sorry, the picture, uh, he, I don't know with what he, how he uh, sold it or gave it anyway, to the library. Never mind, we're getting distracted yeah. by, by doctor, which is what happens, happened to me as I was writing the essay. Well, that's the point about an uh, essay. Well, You're meant to be distracted yes. in it and mm. wander all over yes. the place. Yes. I mean, I remember studying the, the essay at high school and we looked at Charles Lamb's Indeed. essays and they yeah. were essentially of that discursive Indeed, nature. They started yeah. somewhere and wandered off mm. and perhaps they came back and perhaps they didn't. Mm. But mostly they took you on a, a lovely trip around his, yes. his mind and his research. And his imagination, mm. as imagination. one thing gave rise to another thing, mm. which, of course, is what happens when you write. You think of one thing and then something else presents itself and so it goes on. Well, that's right, yes. And so something that inspires you, such as the way the, the picture inspired me, Marion and I have uh, both been inspired once by a story in a newspaper about a bishop and uh, we we decided we had discussions on the phone we, we about this about it. talked about it quite a bit and decided we would both write a short story inspired by the story of the bishop and his sexual abuse of yeah. a girl yeah. and uh, and in fact yours is in there isn't it and it, mine's, oh yeah, mine's in here. Yeah. And mine's in this Shooting the Fox. Now, what's it called? And mine's yeah. called... They're both called Shooting the Fox. The story, your book is called Shooting, called Shooting the, the Fox. But no, both, the, no. Oh, no, no, that's wrong. That's the wrong. Bishop's story is Bishop not stories, Shooting the Fox. No. <laughs> we get muddled. Yes. Yeah. The Bishop's story... Together Forever. Yours is Together is. Forever. And mine is... Uh, I should know, shouldn't I? Um... Um, um, my beloved is mine and I am his. Yes. You can guess what it's about. Can't yes, you? yes. Um, and you, yours is written in the voice of the girl. Yes. And Not mine, the first person, but no, no, through but her, through sensibility. her sensibility. And mine is largely uh, coming from a, an omniscient narrator, a narrator who is outside. Some, of it, Some of it moves into her. Because the, well. the thing yeah. is, I mean, mm. th this was a story that struck us in its full horror yeah. because it's about a girl, a clever girl from a, a farm in the mm. country who goes to a country town to stay in a hostel in order to go to high school. And the hostel is run by a bishop. Well, he, he's a, a, a minister at the time. Well, yes. He becomes a bishop. He becomes later. a bishop. Yeah. And mm. he seduces her and... Um, we both have the same element. He, he has a possum skin rug. And, mm. and, of course, she, in my story, it comes from her point of view, um, the things he tells her and the things she works out about her, which, of course, are, are wicked things that he wicked does things. to her. It's, mm. it's quite horrid. And, and it, it ruins, it ruins, ruins her, her life. life. Yes. It totally destroys yes. her life. Yes. And yours is, and, and Carmel's is exactly the same yes. story, but they're a very interesting pair if you happen to read them together because mm. they, um, they show how one writer takes the same set of facts, and we had quite detailed things. Um, the woman finally um, made a fuss about this, 
and the bishop got defrocked. In, in the real story. In yes. the real story, mm. yes. And it was written up at length in the newspapers, so one knew a lot of the details, and one knew how her life had been ruined by it and so on. But it's interesting to see what different stories they make. Now, was the possum rug in the real story, or did we make it up? Well, we don't know. We, we don't, don't know, know anymore. <laughs> I think it must have been in the real story. It must have Why, been. How well, could we possibly make, make up, up a possum run? I don't know. I don't, yeah. I, I don't know. Really. Yeah, but yeah. remember, we've had this conversation and we can't remember no. where it came no, from. No, no. And then there's another story that is called Shooting the Fox, and we both wrote a story called Shooting the Fox, and uh, both stories were also inspired by... A, a true story that we had heard. It was a piece of gossip. A piece of story. gossip, yes, that's right. And that yes. was quite fun to yes. write because yes. we agreed that we'd write it. Mm. And I said, you write your version, I'll write mine. Yeah. Um, there were certain strictures um, because um, we didn't want the people that it was written about to be able to recognise themselves. Yeah. They never have. Yeah. People don't, you know. They no. don't. That, no. that they they don't know that that they're in the stories, yeah. And some some except of, I don't think those people would have read those the people story. wouldn't have read it. No, so no, no, no. I thought that was pretty that, safe. That, that one was safe, but um, sometimes uh, my friends would like me to put them in my stories. Get offended that you don't. They get offended that I don't, and I think, but wait a minute, didn't didn't you know that was you? I don't tell them. I don't tell. Them. Now, I'll read the beginning of my shooting the fox, and then would you read the beginning of your shooting the fox? Okay. Introduced into Australia in the 1850s and listed as a national threat to agriculture and wildlife in 1992, the European red fox is now widespread across the country except for the tropical far north and Tasmania. Luke Lacey and Clementine Maloney were high school sweethearts, and they married just as the apple blossom was coming out when they were both 19. They called the baby Grace. It was 1998, characterised in the district as the year the fox got off the boat at Burnie and headed into the Tasmanian bush. It was the island's first fox. Shotgun weddings were not unusual in the small brick church of St Francis, which had stood in the hollow of a stony hillside for over a century. What really excited the locals was the fact that at last, a Maloney was marrying a Lacey, for the families had been feuding for generations. It had been in the first place a question of land ownership and boundaries, and although all this had long since been resolved, the bad blood lived on. So there was a certain daring in what Luke and Clementine were doing, would they finally bring the two families together, the orchardist Lacey's and the publican Maloney's? So it's a, it's a Romeo and Juliet story and it, well, it doesn't end doesn't well. End well. <laughs> <laughs> now yours. Now mine's set, oh, it's not set in Tasmania. It's set somewhere, I think, in country New South Wales. Would you like to see the fox I shot this morning, he said, as he opened the gate in the wall. This is a particular form of words. It is not a question. You do not say no. It appears to be polite, would you? But it leaves no room. I went and saw the fox, exquisite red creature. It does not know yet that it is dead. Its eye is not dim. Its brush is defiant. 
Soon it will droop and decay and know its own mortality. His name is Malcolm and he wishes to marry me. I am a 43-year-old virgin and my name is Gloria, an unsuitable name, except when I sing Gloria in excelsis Deo. Not that I can sing. I lift up my head and open my mouth and pretend to be part of the glorious harmony of the choir. I open my mouth and no sound comes out, but the choir's sound fills it. We are very proud of the choir at my school. It is one of the things we can are famous for. The girls are cruel. Generation after generation, they come and flourish and go. They can take all sorts of forms, and one of them is tropical flowers growing lustily on their vines. And so on. And so on. Now you've brought sex and death. I've got sex you've and got death. Sex and death. And of and course, what mine is about is different from what yours is about. And this is what's really interesting, and it's really fun to talk about our work because it ends up in such different places. We don't have any fear that we're going to start copying one another. Mine is actually about all the fairy stories. And Gloria, when she marries her Malcolm, thinks that, and goes to live in a tower, thinks that she's going to be forbidden to do something, that there'll be a chest she mustn't open, a room she mustn't go into. And she gets terribly confused because... He doesn't make any prohibitions on her. And um, his, I think his first wife died from falling off the top of the tower. And, and she says to him, how did your second wife die? And he said, she didn't. She lives in Sydney. I'm going to go and have lunch with her next week. Why don't you come? And, but she, she feels nervous about that because she, she has a sort of expectation from fairy stories that things will work out in certain ways which I think is a kind of... It's a fascinating when you start thinking about how we all are so influenced by fairy stories. Indeed, and so, think yeah. that's... I mean, your... Yeah, well, I suppose Romeo often. and Juliet isn't exactly a fairy story, but it's a story. Yes, but we, we are both uh, fond of making reference in the plots of our work to old fairy stories such yes. as Grimm's... Grimm's fairy tales, but I wanted to come back to the fact that your fox story um, became very sensual and sexy when it was talking about, okay, so she's a virgin and she's teaching girls who are so sensual and like tropical flowers and all that stuff. And, and so you are introducing the eroticism into the text without the mechanics. Yes. And, the, and, and I that's wanted, interesting, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. And in fact, you've taught teenage girls and so have yeah. I, and they're incredibly erotic. They mm. sit around in front of you being erotic all mm. over the place. Yeah. And it can get you down a bit after a while, <laughs> especially as they tend to think that you haven't a clue about any of this. <laughs> what would she know? Yeah, I'd like to go back to Goodbye Sweetheart and read a little piece from there, which is a very, look, it's half, half a page of typing, but it's a very suggestive, sexy little, well, comment, really. It's not, is it a scene? It's not really. It's a comment. No. And, uh, but I, I love the way you sometimes do, of course, have people uh, in sexual congress. But, I, we're but not 
neither of us is going to be eligible for a bad sex award. No, we're not going for the bad sex award. We don't have enough gruesome anatomical details to get there. Silliness, yeah. No, this is how how you do it, folks. Berenice had red gold hair and big grey eyes. She was slender, waif-like even, with a touch of 19th century tuberculosis chic. But of course she was healthy. Ferdy boyfriend wondered if her pubic hair was the same precious metal colour. But when he got to look, he saw that she was completely shaved, like a bluish marble statue. Her cleft was as bare and linear as a child's. You should try it, she said. All that hair, yuck, it's so free and clean and lovely without. He did not say, I don't feel dirty and imprisoned by my pubic hair. The way it curled, softly stiffened brown around his penis. I'll do it for you if you like, said Berenice. But he said, Not now, thank you. (laughs) Now you see, it's it's light-hearted, it's funny, but but it's very, very sexy little piece of of writing. Yeah. Well, you want to have a bit of fun with. Have oh, you do. Well, we do have a lot of fun, not only with our phone calls, but also with our. Our writing, writing fiction, and, well, essays too, for that matter, is great fun. I must say, um, we'd have to bowdlerise our, our conversations, rather, because we... Here? We, yes, here. Oh, we can't? Um, we can't tell you what we talk about all the time, because we... Um, <laughs> uh, oh. Well, we say, did you see that review of X's book, X's frightful book? In, yes, in, that's in right. The paper. Sounds absolutely ghastly. ghastly. Nothing would persuade me to read that. Nothing. But look at the review. Rave, rave. Rave, rave. Yes, but we're not yes. naming names. Did you see that short story that everybody said is so fantastic? Yeah, what rubbish. And it was mm. imitation writing. As Gerald Manane would say. As Gerald Manane yeah. would yeah. say. I used to teach writing with Gerald Manane at uh, Deakin University and his one of his big things was to, to say that much of the writing that came across his desk, what, fiction writing, was what he would call imitation writing. It's I'd say fake. Fake, I like fake, fake writing, too. yes. So that yeah. people have um, imagined what a short story ought to be like and have put it down as, it, as they imagine it ought to be rather than actually writing it. Yeah. That makes sense. And also yeah. that sense, um, you're writing from the point of view of, say, a 10-year-old girl, but you've got concepts and perceptions that the child couldn't possibly have. Yes. You've got an adult's yeah. vocabulary and way of looking at things. Mm. And, um, and when you really look at it, it doesn't work. It's no, terrible. No, That's your imitation writing for Imitation you. writing. Yes. Yes, yeah, so we, we let off steam and get quite cross about things so that we can be polite and nice in public. Yeah, we're, we're, we're being fairly polite and nice tonight for you, yes. Yes, we're not yeah. saying anything awful about anybody, No, are we? we're not, are we? Although no. I was interested in your expression, packing down with the big boy. Yes, <laughs> in my story. Because that came from somebody in the paper writing about going to a literary festival and talking to some grand writers like Peter Carey mm. and people and said he'd be packing down, down with, with the, the big boys. Yes. And Carmel and I thought, mm. that has entered that our vocabulary. It has, <laughs> yes, yes. Because there's always a, a bit of a debate uh, about men and women in the literary world 
in yes. Australia, well, throughout the English-speaking world anyway, and yes. as a result of much of that talk, the Stella Prize was invented because there was an idea that the Miles Franklin Award went too often to men. Yes. And so people got together and um, put together the Stella Prize for women. And in fact, there's a thing on Facebook at the moment that you probably haven't got around to looking at yet. Um, where the Stella Prize people have counted in the Sydney Review of Books the number of men's and women's. Ah, yes, and I haven't the seen proportions that. are still huge. Still the same. Yes, still yes, still yes. men Something like 12% maybe or 20% of women's books reviewed by women and all the rest is men's books reviewed by men. Mm. Which I didn't think about once upon a time. Like those, those sort of gendered thought didn't stuff. worry mm. me. No. But I'm feeling increasingly conscious of it now. Yes. Yeah. I don't know how we um, work out how long we, we're talking. Well, 40 because minutes, on the phone, I think. We, oh, is there a clock? There's oh, a yes. clock. Look, a clock. Look that. Well, it, look, it's gone 40 minutes. It's gone 40 minutes. That's magic. Perhaps people would like to ask us some questions. Mm. Well, <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, before we do go on to questions, I just want to say thanks to both of you and just for your thoughts on particularly how long stories can last in your imaginations mm. and the way that you hand them back and forth to each other. And I really enjoyed you talking about writing parallel stories from the same beginning, thinking there's a proud tradition of that here in this city where... Rosemary Dobson and David Campbell wrote yes. their poems from the Russian yes. in exactly that yes. way. And yeah. where you see where two writers start from the same point but go somewhere so different. So, um, so thanks for those insights into the way that your writing friendship has released things like this from their 20-year slumber in yeah. a way yeah. and, um, and the, sh the stories that you share and then 